turn your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 20 through 28. The Apostle John chapter 12, verse 20 through 28. When you have it, say amen. Amen. And the word of the Lord reads, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew... Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for another opportunity, Lord, to hear a word from you, Lord. And we thank you, Father God, for preparing our hearts, Lord. And I pray even more so, Father, that you will open us up, Father God, to receive uh, the seed of life, Father God, your word, Lord. Uh, May your word be planted in our hearts, Father God, and and, and, it, and it grow, Father God, uh, to glorify you, Lord. Now, I pray, Father God, that you will speak, for nothing can happen unless you speak, Father God. Use me, Father God, a vessel, Father God, unfit, but chosen by you, Lord. Again, we thank you and we praise you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Just went through this passage and want to title this message, Dying to Live. Dying to live. I've lived in uh, my current house for over five years now. And, and throughout those years, I've had mixed results with my yard, with my lawn. Amen? Uh, there have been years in which, you know, my lawn has looked good. The grass has been green. It's grown. And there were not too many problems. And then there have been years where I've looked at my yard and I've wondered what went wrong. And this year is one of those years, you know, it it just really never did kind of come about like I had truly expected for it to come about. Uh, and, and, And I think a lot of that has to do with, of course, in the last few months, we've had some really dry weather, right? We really haven't had a lot of rain. Uh, In fact, they said September is the third driest month ever recorded in Louisville. Uh, So there really hasn't been much or wasn't much of an expectation uh, of the grass to grow. Everyone's lawn, in fact, 
in my neighborhood pretty much looked the same. No one's lawn looked any better than the others. Everyone's grass was pretty much, you know, kind of had a little sprinkled green here and there, but most of it was kind of brown, and, and I think most folks just kind of gave up on their lawn, like me, amen? Just ready for winter to come so you wouldn't have to mess with it anymore. And we had a new family move into the neighborhood um, a few months back, and the house that they purchased, it's, it's in a perfect location. I mean, as you come up to my street, it, it's right there. You, you, kinda, you can't help but to see it. You have to come to a stop. The house is right there in the front. So you can't help but to see his, his, uh, his house. Uh, and when he moved into the house, his yard was just like everyone else's. I mean, it, it looked pretty much the same. In fact, it may have even looked, on average, maybe a little bit worse than some of the others. But nonetheless, it pretty much looked the same. And when he moved into his house, or shortly after moving into his house, my neighbor took a, an extremely radical approach to ensuring that his grass would have life and would start to grow. What did he do? He killed his grass. He killed his grass. And as I wonder, I looked and I saw, what in the world is he doing to his grass? He's killed it. I mean, especially in dry conditions. I said, he'll never, you know, he'll never get his grass back. You know, it'll just, it'll just, it's just messed up. And so uh, as we continued to, to wait, uh, I began to see him coming out and him preparing the soil and preparing it for new growth. And as he patiently began to do that, all of a sudden, you start to see a little grass start to come up. And before you know it, he had a lawn that was full of green grass. I mean, this grass is green. And it's, again, it's in a perfect location because when you drive up to the street, you can't help but to see his house. And so when you come up to the street, you're confronted with this green grass. And it, it, there's the, the contrast and the difference between his yard and everyone else's yard, it's like night and day. And as I, I thought about this and, and how he kind of approached what he did with his grass, it, it, it started to make me wonder. Now, one of the things I, I thought about is this must be how the grass in the Garden of Eden looked because that grass was green. And it's green to this day. I think he started routing about in August, uh, making, making preparations for his yard and killing it. And, and then right now, if you go to this day and come on my street, you'll see this green yard. And you can't help. I ain't even got to give you the address. You'll see his yard. And as I thought about what he did to his lawn, uh, it, it all started to remind me of what Christ requires of those who have called and those who have been chosen to follow him. And as I thought about what my neighbor did, my neighbor, he didn't take the lawn that he had and try to make it better. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to focus on the crabgrass and the weeds and the dandelions and I'm going to spray some stuff on there and just kill that. He killed everything, including the grass that was considered to be good. He recognized that everything must go and 
And as I thought about that, it reminds me, and every time I come up to his house, it reminds me of what God requires of each and every one who chooses to follow him, that we must die to ourselves in order to experience true life. That we can't just simply begin to work on what is already here or what, what, who we already are, but that we must surrender ourselves to God and say, I die to myself in order that Christ may live in and through me. Amen? Not to improve on the old, because we are supposed to be a new creation, born again. His word says in, in Peter, but you are you haven't been, you're born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. No message is clearer throughout scripture than the fact that we must die to ourselves in order to live. No message is clear, and and those who experience that death come up a brand new person, a brand new creation, just as vibrant as that grass looks in my neighbor's yard. And so when we come to this, we, it, it leads us to this passage that we just read in a time in which Jesus' popularity was an all-time high. Jesus had done some miracles. He had done some great things, and uh, one of them which probably stands out is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so him raising Lazarus from the dead, there was a lot of talk about what Jesus Christ has done. I mean, if you see someone who's dead for a few days and then they're all of a sudden alive, that's going to get some talk. And so there was a lot of commotion about what Christ had done. And when we look at uh, this particular situation, the chief priests and the religious leaders were not happy because Jesus Christ was getting a lot of attention, maybe a little bit too much attention for them. There were Jews and Gentiles alike who started to put their faith in this Jesus Christ. Why did they resort, they being the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, why did they resort to drastic measures of, of wanting to crucify Christ because he was getting too many followers? They were putting their faith in him. A day before this passage, uh, the, the time frame in this passage, a day before this, on a Sunday, Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem and there's the great crowd. You know the story. There's a great crowd and, and they're, they're cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They've, they're laying down garments on the ground and they've got palm branches signifying peace. I mean, they're, I, I just, can you just picture what happened when Jesus Christ is rolling in to Jerusalem on that donkey? Amen. Not exactly an animal depicted as one that a king would come in on, but he comes in on a donkey and, and they're crying, Hosanna, save us, save us. Amen. And so we see that taking place and then that leads us to this particular point in time on a Monday where some Greeks decide to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus. So they come to Philip. Philip tells Andrew, and for some reason, Andrew seems to be the, the main one who's always bringing someone to Jesus. I, it's almost like, I don't know, you know, if he's a bouncer or he's just evangelizing, but he's, he's always kind of the one saying, you know, if you, you want to see Jesus, you got to kind of come through me. Uh, we see that Andrew is the one who brought his, his brother Peter to Jesus, amen? And so Andrew seems always in the mix of it and the one who's bringing 
people or individuals to, to Jesus Christ. And so Philip and Andrew both go to Jesus Christ and tell Jesus that there are some Greeks here who want to see you. They've heard about some of these miracles that you've been doing. They've heard about what's been going on, and they, they've come from, from afar, and they want to understand, and they want to be able to talk with you a little bit. And, and Jesus Christ responds a little different than what they, I'm sure they had to think he would respond. He responds a little differently because he doesn't go into, you know, some of his miracles and some of the other things like that and talk theology with him. But he begins using this as a teaching moment. And I like that about Christ because he doesn't waste, he never wastes a moment. He's always using questions that people ask and situations to teach others and to teach what's going on. Jesus did more in three years than probably anybody does, has done in a lifetime. All because of that reason. And so we see Jesus Christ responding back and he tells them, he says that, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And, he, and then he starts to talk about this kernel. He says, I tell you the truth, amen. This kernel, if, if anyone is going to, uh, if, if, if you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it will be alone. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And through that message, Jesus Christ is communicating two things. First of all, he's communicating that he is that seed. Jesus Christ is that kernel that will die, is, 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 is going to die in order to bring life to those who will give their life to him. So Jesus Christ is speaking of himself in this particular situation. But not only does he speak of himself, but he has a message for the Greeks as well as to us who are here today. And that message again is that we also must die in order to experience life. That we also must die to experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ has for us. And as we look at this, we want to, I want to point out some things that we are to consider. And the question that I lead off with is, how much do you love your life? How much do you love your life? Is your life precious to you? And when you think about the question that Jesus Christ or the response of Jesus Christ, it, it, it seems kind of unusual. He's using a paradox here and and it seems to defy logic, but when you look at it further, it, it's simply the truth. In verse 25, Jesus Christ says that the man who lives his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. At that point, Jesus Christ is drawing a line in the sand, and he says there's two types of people, two groups of people. He says those who love their life, and he says those who hate their life. And, and we might think, okay, well, when he's speaking about those who love their life, we may ask, okay, well, that's good. I love my life. But we, we have to kind of look at it a little, little further to see exactly what Christ is talking about. And some may even ask, well, aren't we supposed to love our life? Aren't we supposed to be thankful to God and grateful to God for, for living and for who we are? And we certainly are to be thankful and grateful to God. Uh, for the life that he has given us. We're in, in fact, we're supposed to be so thankful that we are to give our lives back to him in honor and in recognition for him giving us life. We're to be so thankful that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. It's similar to how Hannah, when she, uh, could, she, was, she was barren, she couldn't have a child, and she was praying to God for many years, for a long time, and, and she, she finally had the child. Samuel, amen, and, and instead of just 
keeping the child for herself, what does she do? She gives the child back to God and says, this is, this is in recognition and, and, and in gratitude to, for, for what you have done for me. She gives the child back to God. And God is looking for us to do the same. That's how we demonstrate we are thankful to God, by giving our lives back to him. We're to be so thankful to God for our lives, but Christ is saying that the one who lives or loves their life is the person who will not surrender to Christ. He's saying the person who loves their life, it loves their life more than they love Christ. Now, let's not get it mixed up because that doesn't mean that we don't, that, that they may not love Christ. It says they love their life more than they love Christ. It says with their mouths they say one thing, but with their actions to Christ, they tell Christ that I love you, but I don't love you that much. I love you, but not that much. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts. He says, their hearts are far from me. So God is not just looking for us to honor him with our mouths and and, and come close to him in that regard and honor him with our lips. But he's looking at our heart. Christ wants all of our heart. And when he has all of our heart, then he has all of us. Amen. If living for Christ is not the most important thing to you and to your, your life, then we will be content with doing the minimum for Christ. I'll say that again. If, if living for Christ is not the most important thing in your life, then we will be content with just doing the minimum for Christ. Just enough. I'll give you an example. I, I'm going to try to be transparent this morning and, and, and use myself and uh, a situation that God had put on my heart. And uh, I remember uh, quite a few years ago when, when Jocelyn, uh, my wife and I, we had gotten married and we were just starting off. We really didn't have a, have a lot. You know how it is. You're just kind of starting off. You're kind of getting by and and when I thought about, you know, as I start to make a little bit more money, I, I had in my mind, I'm going to get me a, a new car. Now, not just another car. I'm going to get me a, a new car. Just as I start to, to get a little bit more money. Amen. And I did that. As I started making a little bit more money, I got me a new car. But getting the, the new car wasn't, wasn't the problem. The problem was that I wasn't focused necessarily on what my wife had, per se. My mindset was, as long as she's driving something, yeah. as long as she's driving, now, I'm, I, if I need to duck behind this pulpit, then I will, but as long as she's driving something, then that was okay. Now, disregard the fact that my wife can put a hurting on a car, you know, and but that's beside the point because that wasn't my main concern. That was not my main concern. My main concern was for my own well-being. That was my main concern. I, I wasn't willing or even had the desire to sacrifice in getting her a newer car before I got myself a newer car, before I treated myself. And, and that's, just how we, that's just how we do Christ at times. That is exactly 
how we do Christ at times. We, we look and say, uh, you know, just as I did with as long as she's driving something, we, we, we tell the Lord that as long as I'm giving you something, as long as I'm coming to church on Sunday, then everything is, is okay. As long as I'm giving the Lord a part of my life, then it's all good. And that's, that's exactly my mindset when it came to when I was getting this car. I had to treat myself first. Now, my wife will be the first to tell you that she didn't care anything about that. If you go ask her today, she'll be even wondering why, am I, why I'm even bringing it up. Because she, she's not one to really care so much about cars, and she really didn't care. But the point was that my heart wasn't in the right place. God said, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how much did Christ not give to the church? How much did Christ not do for the church? He sacrificed everything for the church. He gave the church his best. He sacrificed himself so the church may have life, so that the church may grow. And I certainly didn't do that in that example. The pro, you know, and, the, and, and again, I say, I say it again, it wasn't that I didn't love my wife. It's that I just, I love myself more. And somebody say, well, that might be, yeah, it's the truth. Because I, I demonstrated it. Actions speak louder than words. It ain't that I did, I love my wife. I would do some things for my wife back then when we, after we got married. But, but I just love myself a little more. So much that I wanted to treat myself, I was concerned about my own self before I was concerned about maybe taking care of her at that time. And I, I'm so glad that Christ, that God, that the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. God continued to just convict my heart years after that. I mean, this was right, not shortly after we had gotten married and, and after I had bought a few new cars. Um, The Lord just continued to work on my heart. And to the point to where one day out of the blue, I went to my wife and I said, I, you know, I have to apologize. I, I just want to say I'm sorry. I, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry for what I did back then and how I approached that situation. If I had to do it over again, I would, I would handle that differently. And she said, what are you talking about? That's, and I was like, I just, that, that, that was for me. I had to tell you that I'm sorry. Because I put myself first before I put you first in that particular area of my life. How much do you love your life? How much do you love your life? Do you love your life more than you love Christ? That's the question. Christ said that if we're going to be his disciples, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. That's what he says. How big is your cross? Is your cross big enough for your whole body to fit on? Or is your cross just big enough to fit a part of your body on the part of you that you're willing to kind of sacrifice the part of you that you're willing to kind of give up I know this hurts a little bit because it hurts me and you know when we look at this are we looking to live for the Lord only after we have satisfied our own self-centered desires and live the life that is pleasing to us because that's kind of how we approach things right I'm going to kind of get my own first and then I'm going to settle down with the Lord. And then I will kind of do some things. But I'm going to live, I'm going to, you know, until then, I'm going to still go to, go to church and do a few things. But I'm going to please myself 
more. I'm going to kind of do my own thing at this point. Are we living for Christ or are we living for ourselves? His word says he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. That's the reason why Jesus Christ died. And, and so when we look at those who love their life, Christ ain't using that as a, as a good thing. We don't want to love our lives more than we love Christ. It's okay for us to love our lives and to thank God for our lives, but we don't want to love our lives more than we love Christ. Because we will always be in a situation where we treat ourselves, where we please ourselves, where we do our own will before we do the will of God. But we want to fall into that second group of people that Jesus Christ spoke of. When he says that the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If we're truly living for Christ, then we'll be like that second group of people that hate their life. They don't hate it in a sense they just hate, you know, who God made them to be. But they, it, it's it, God, Jesus Christ again is using that shock value. Just like he said, if you're going to follow me, you must hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. Saying that your life, your life, your love for me in comparison to your love for yourself and for your family should be so much different. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. He's saying that it's not that you hate your life, but how, how much you love me. And how you love yourself and how you love others, the difference would be, I mean, it should be a contract. Just like that grass when you go up in my neighborhood right now and you see his grass and you see everyone else's grass. He says that's how different it should, it should be that, that different. Even more so. We, we, so we see this and I like how Ian Thomas defines what it means to die to ourselves. To experience this death that we're talking about. He says that death to yourselves means trading in what you are for what Christ is. And that is so true. Death to yourself means trading in what you are for what Christ is. And that is an, that is a, that's a great exchange, amen? That ain't even a fair exchange. Christ coming and, and imputing himself on us and us having his righteousness, him giving us grace, and us trading in our broken down, messed up, Sinful selves for him. That ain't even a fair trade right there. When I think about what God did, it ain't even a fair trade. When I think about that God looks upon me as though I lived the life of Christ. That I walked like he did. As I did like he did. And then Christ received the punishment as if he lived like I lived. That ain't even a fair exchange right there. But that's the exchange that we're talking about. Dying to ourselves means trading in what we are for what Christ is. People should be jumping at that exchange. Jumping at that exchange. And when we talk about this death, we talk, there's two types. There's the initial death unto salvation. When we give a profession of faith to Jesus Christ. That one time event where we give our lives to Christ and we die the old person. The old person dies and we become a new creation in life. God looks upon us differently and we're no longer enemies, but now we are friends of God. Amen. That's that initial death. But God calls us to die daily. A, a daily death. Amen. So that when we wake up in the morning, we must die to ourselves. Christ says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever wants to lose his life for my sake will save it. 
when we come to recognize the awesome life that can only be found in Jesus Christ, then we would have no problem surrendering ourselves to him. Now, that doesn't mean that life is going to be all good. It's working out for the good, but it doesn't mean that it's going to not going to be without its trials and tribulations and its issues. But how much more, I mean, that awesome life that, that Christ gives us. Uh, one of my favorite Christian hip-hop artists, Trip Lee, I, I love the hook on one of his songs, and, and, and he, he says that if, 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 if I'm worth dying for, yes, this God is worth living for. Because of who he is, he makes me want to love him more and more. So I take my body and I use it for the glory of God. That's why I pray every day, take up my cross, and search for the lost. I mean, he, it, that's a great hook that he talks about, and, and, it, and it really brings home what we're supposed to be. He certainly is worth living. God is certainly worth living for. Amen? He is worth living for. He's worth giving your life. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to live a perfect life after we give our life to Christ. That's not the message that I'm trying to communicate here because we, we certainly fall short of the glory of God, all of us. And those who hate their lives even more so, they recognize that they fall short. And it is only by God's grace that they are who they are. I like what Paul said. He says, by grace, I am what I, I, am, what I am. Amen? By his grace. But even if we're not perfect, Paul said we are to be straining, straining toward that perfection, pressing toward that perfection. That's what he says, straining towards that righteousness. Although I have already been declared righteous before God by the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm to be straining forward to that righteousness. Paul said not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I ain't looking back. I ain't turning back. That's what Paul said. I ain't turning back to who I was before. He says, I'm pressing on. I'm straining towards the finish line. God is looking for some Christians to stand up and say, I ain't turning back. I don't want to go back. Because the only thing that's behind me is death. I press on towards the prize that God has called me heavenward in Christ. This pressing on, this straining, only comes when we have surrendered all to the Lord. That all is a key word. It comes when we not only recognize what God has done for us, but, we, 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 but when we respond in faith to what he has done. A living sacrifice says, not my will, but thy will be done. I once read that if you're not ready to die, then you're not ready to live. And I certainly see the, the truth in that. If we're not ready to die for Christ, then we're not ready to live. And there's a bunch of folks who are not ready to live yet. They're not ready to experience the abundant life that Christ has for them because they haven't died to themselves yet. When the old person dies and, and, and we're made a new creation in Christ, you better believe there's going to be a fight. The fight is on when you give your life to Christ. 
That's when the, the battle begins. That's when the warfare begins, when you give your life to Christ. Before you gave your life to Christ, there wasn't the Holy Spirit in you trying to convict you. You, you just do what you want to do, and you'd be like, hey, I'm good with that. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. I ain't got no problem with that. But when you give your life to Christ, it's like the Holy Spirit is kind of like, hmm, working on you. Working on you to where you ain't even comfortable doing what you do before. You ain't even comfortable with it. And so you, you have that spiritual warfare that begins. The Holy Spirit enters into our heart and he continues to work on our heart and transform us. And so we're not even comfortable with that anymore. Paul described that, that spiritual battle in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things I want to do, he says, I, I, I don't do, and the things I do, I, I don't want to do. And he's, Paul just, you know, when you read Romans 7, you're like, man, that sounds like me right there. Because there's that contention, there's that warfare that's kind of going on. It's that battle. But greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. I like to, to call the moments that we kind of come up with, are, they're cross-check moments. You ever heard of a gut check? We have kind of gut checks. A gut check is when you come across those situations or the moments that kind of test what you're really made of, who you really are. It tests your nerves. It tests your determination. A gut check really, it exposes who you truly are. And it's usually those difficult and those trying situations. But instead of us just having a gut check, we have cross-check moments. We all have cross If you've given your life to the Lord, you have a cross-check moment. You may have a cross-check moment when the Sun team, amen, decides to go out and to carry out the great commission that God has before us and to share the gospel with the community. But it just so happens that when the Sun team is going out, that's on the day that you got to get your hair done. Or that's on the day that your favorite football team is playing. Regardless of what day it's on, a Saturday or Sunday, and then sometimes if you're like me in the past, you got the nerve to get, kind of get mad. Why can't they have it on a different day? Why they got to get up so early? Can't they just sleep a little bit later in the day? And again, it's all about us, myself. And so we have these cross-check moments. And, and in, that, in that example of evangelism, when the sun team goes out, you're going to experience that cross-check. Am I going to do what I want to do? Or am I going to pick up my cross and live as Christ lived? You're going to come to those moments, those cross-check moments, maybe when you come home from work and, you know, you're just tired. You just ain't feeling, you're, you're just worn down. Kids ain't acting right. Boss got on your nerves. You know, money's a little funny, a little tight. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that you want to do is, is that sinful nature in you wants to just get on the couch and just kind of chill out. But the Holy Spirit's like, I need, I need you to be in the Word because the Word is going to, be, it's going to strengthen you. It's going to give you direction. And, but you're like, I don't feel like getting in the Word. And so that's a cross-check moment. Will you put down your cross or will you pick it up and say, I'm going to do the Lord's will? You may have those cross-check moments whenever you, for students who go to school or for even us who go to work where somebody is mistreating you or doing you wrong or talking about you in some kind of way, you're going to have those cross-check moments in how you respond in that situation. Are you going to Pick up your cross and respond with grace. Are you not going to return evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing? Or are you going to put down the cross and say, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. Wait a minute. Kind of like when women sometimes take their earrings off and they get ready to, you know, do we put down our cross and be like, wait a minute. 
Christ, hold on for a second. Or do we pick up our cross and say, I'm going to do as Christ would do. I'm going to respond as he commanded me to do because I'm no longer that old person. I'm a new creation in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So I don't do as I used to do, but I do as Christ does because he lives through and in me. We come to those cross check moments. Anyone who has been born again comes to those moments. And when you're faced with that, think to yourself, am I bearing my cross or am I putting my cross down? In verse 26, Christ goes on to illustrate what it takes to follow him. He says, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. Christ lets us know that it takes more than lip service to follow him. It takes cross service. And when I read this, I kind of thought, you know, you know how you kind of, I was like, it would probably sound better. And I'm trying to figure out why he, he worded that way. I was kind of thinking that it, it should probably be if anyone would follow me, he must serve me. Instead of if anyone would serve me, he must follow me. And, I was, and it's not the same thing. And so I was looking at it, and, and, and as I kind of continued to look at this, God re was revealing what he's meaning in this, in this passage because it, it truly supports what Christ was saying, that if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. That take up your cross is the service. That's rendering your service to God. And then follow him. Christ said, you can't follow me if you haven't taken up your cross. And taking up that cross is saying, I'm doing the Lord's will, not my will. So he's bringing that home. How, how is it that I can take up my cross? Again, because I, I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And this is a key. This is key. He says, if we, you know, if we don't have a cross-bearing mentality then there is no way that we can, we can follow him. And so this is important for those who choose to, to follow him, that we must first bear our cross, and then we can follow him. Follow means imitate. To do as he does, pray as he prays, speaks as he speaks. I'm going to do as Christ does, but I can't do as Christ does until I have made the decision that I'm, I'm, I'm dying to myself and that I'm going to live for him. I must serve Christ in order to follow or to imitate Christ. And then Jesus goes on and he uses his, himself as an example. In verse 27, he says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Jesus Christ uses a rhetorical question here. He says, so what shall I say now that... I'm in this situation. I'm going to be crucified on the cross. I'm going to give my life. So what should I say? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? Should my will be done? That's what he's saying. Should my will be done? And then he goes on. He says, no, it was for this very reason that I was called. Jesus Christ was he was troubled. He, he, was, he was troubled. He said, now my heart is troubled. He was troubled so much that he started sweating blood or droplets of blood. That's, that's how troubled Christ was. Christ was so troubled that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked some of the disciples, he said, stay with me for a little bit. 
That's how troubled he was. Not troubled because he feared what was going to happen, but just troubled by the taking upon of the sins, the wrath of God, the things that he had to go through. He was kind of troubled with that. But he said, what shall I say? Should I say my will be done? No, he says that this is why I was called for that very reason. He knew his purpose and he was not going to let anything deter him from, from doing his purpose. Amen. Even Peter, when Peter said that, Lord, we ain't going to allow that to happen to you. Peter thought he was doing a good thing. And Jesus Christ said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Christ would not let anyone or anything stand in the way of him doing the will of the Father, from glorifying the Father. And that needs to be our mindset that we are going to press on, that we're going to strain, we're going to strive and, and press on to do the will of the Father, not our own will. Now, it's not going to be comfortable at times. It ain't going to be comfortable at times because you're not always going to want to do that. But think about the glory and the honor that awaits those who have truly given their life to Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ goes on and he says, my father will honor the ones who will serve me. That's a promise right there. That's when we talked about God unchanging. That's unchanging right there. He says that if you serve me, I will honor you. I go to prepare a place for you. Where I be, you will be also. I trust in that promise. And so he says that if you give your life to me, I'll give you life and I'll give it to you more abundantly. Suffering can't compare to the glory that God has for those who love him, for those that have been called according to his purpose. He says it's worth it. That exchange is worth it. He says it can't even compare. When you get to heaven and you look back and you be like, Lord, if I knew, I would I would have went a little bit harder for you back then. I, if I just knew how nice it was going to be, the books just don't explain it. The Bible, it does a good job. I mean, Revelations is good, but it just can't compare to what I'm seeing here. I just, I just can't. Lord, let me go back and do it again. No, I don't want to do that, but it, it just, I can't, com it can't compare. That's what he's saying. So, it's worth it. If, he, if he's worth dying for, if, 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 if I'm worth dying for, then surely he is worth living for. If I'm broken down, sinful as I am, if I'm worth dying for, if Jesus Christ said, I'm going to come down from heaven, I'm going to step down from glory, I'm going to put on a robe of flesh, right, out of my comfort zone where I am in heaven to redeem a broken people, a people who are enemies of God. But since I love the world, since I love them, I'm going to come down and I'm going to spend 33 years kind of in this, this place right here. If, that, if, he was, if it was worth it for him to do that, oh, yeah, I can, I can certainly live for him because I know he's going to even make it that much better when I give my life to him. No longer am I alone anymore trying to go through this world. I've got Christ on my side. No longer do I have unrestless nights, but I've got peace because I know that he provides that peace. I know that weeping may endure for a night, but I know that joy comes in the morning. I know that it says that in his presence is the fullness of joy. So I know that the exchange is worth it. I know that I can't give up. I know I can't look back, but I got to press on for the prize that he has for me in Christ. I can't give up. I gotta, I, the old man has to go. The old person, the old nature has to go. It's got to die. Because the exchange is worth it. We will wear a crown. That's what it says. We will wear a crown, a crown of life. I ain't talking about these little bitty man-made crowns that they make, they make here. I mean, if we got that in our minds, we're talking about the wrong crown. We're talking about a real crown. 
a crown that don't fade. We're talking about a crown that don't perish. I mean, you can put that crown in acid and that crown will still be a crown. That's the type of crown I'm talking about. I love the song, I shall wear a crown when it's all over. I'm going to put on my robe. I'm going to tell the story how I made it over. I shall wear a crown when it's all over. I'm going to put on my robe. I'm just going to chill with God and tell the story how I made it over. What's your story going to be? Are you going to have a story how you persevered to the end? Are you going to have a story where you said, Christ, I didn't know how I was going to make it out, but I put my faith in you. I gave my life to you and you brought me out. I'm going to tell that story. Abraham, Moses, and all those ain't going to be the only ones telling the story. I'm going to have a story of my own. Lord, when I felt like giving up sometimes, I, I didn't give up because you were with me. Your Holy Spirit was keeping me. I gave my life to you. I wasn't going to turn back. I, I loved you more than I loved my life because your love is better than life. That's what his word says. That's why you can give your life to him because his love is better than life. I'm going to put on my robe. I don't know about anybody else. And I'm going to get my story straight so I can tell it. What will your story be? Will you have a story? It first starts with you giving your life to Christ. To you surrendering all to Jesus Christ. Not a portion. Not a part of you. Not pleasing yourself so much first and then saying, now I can please the Lord. It's, it's a requirement that we serve him and follow him. It's not, it's not a, 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 just a, you know, a suggestion. When God's people make up their mind that they're going to die to themselves and live for Christ, we can turn this world upside down. We can truly make a difference because when you see that God's people responding to situations different than the world responds, when you see that we don't act like the world does, that we do as Paul says and says, come out from them. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. You are a royal people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. For what? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What will your story be? Everyone will have a story. The question is, what will your story be? Glory be to God. Our Father, our God, we come in the name of the name above all names. We thank you, Father God, for your message, Father God. We thank you for convicting us, Lord, revealing to us, Father God, where we fall short, Lord. And we know that, Lord, we fall short, and it's only by your grace, Father God. And we thank you for your grace, Lord. But I pray that, Lord, we will not take your grace for granted 
but that we will live for you, that we will submit and surrender our lives to you, Father God, for you to do as you please, Lord. Keep us and guide us, Father God. I pray that you will open the heart of someone here today who who may have been giving you a part of their life. They may have been loving you some, but they have been loving themselves more than they have loved you. For Lord, we trust in your promises that you say, Father God, those that serve you, your Father, you God, will honor us. And how much better to be honored by the creator of all things than to be honored by man. For no honor, no glory compares to that which you have to give, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for your promises. We thank you for your grace. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.